Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. Welcome into another edition of the Ots and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. This is a post-game edition, uh, Oregon victorious in the 123rd Civil War, 75th Civil War at Autzen Stadium. Oregon comes out of this football game with a 24-10 victory, uh, one in which with three or four minutes to go in the game, yeah. Oregon State had the football and had an opportunity to make a, a potentially game-winning drive. You know, they had the ball down seven. And I think there was no doubt that Oregon State scores a touchdown. They were probably going to go for two to try and play for the win because of the, the stance that they were in this football game. Uh, but that obviously didn't happen. Um, Oregon got a turnover, and then uh, Cyrus Ibilakio shut the door on the Beavers with a 20-yard touchdown run right up the gut on a third and, like, two or a three. Um, was almost untouched, right. really. Uh, and Oregon walks away with a 24-10 to 10 victory, and one in which I think in most years you're probably like, yes, victory, Civil War win, gritty win, you're on to the conference championship game, you're playing Utah, but this game just, it just felt different. Didn't feel very good, um, <laughs> that's for sure. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a way to say it more clearly, but like, we haven't gotten to the fact that Oregon State didn't have their starting quarterback in this game. Yeah. Uh, Tristan Gebbia came in in replacement of Jake Luton and performed adequately, but not like very, not like great. He, he was, didn't lose or win the game. Yeah, he had 26 for 40 with 243 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown. He had a couple of nice scrambles and, and ran for 25 yards. And if you take away a sack, it was closer to 30. But um, when you're facing an opponent who you're clearly more talented than, and the opponent is down at starting quarterback, a senior who was among the best quarterbacks in the conference, at least statistically, in Luton. I think the expectation is this is going to be a blowout. And it looked like it was headed there. And I think that was the part that was frustrating. It was 17-3 to early in the second quarter. And I think the sense was like, oh, Oregon's going to win this game like 35-10. to Yep. Or 38. Who knows? But they're going to win pretty handily. And yet you're having to sweat Oregon State's rally late in the fourth quarter. I mean, uh, with 222 to play... Oregon State has the football uh, trying to drive down, like Matt says, they're tired to win the game, and Thomas Graham forces a fumble on a Jamar Jefferson screen pass. He, he goes airborne, ball pops out, Brady Breeze uh, picks up the ball, and Oregon basically ices the game right there. But uh, it's not a game that really feels like it should have come down to a last-minute defensive heroics, right? Like it felt like a game that the way it was going early that Oregon was going to breeze out to a victory, and yet 
they didn't score until a minute 15 left when Suburbs of Bivikio runs in for a touchdown that when the game is basically already decided, barring Oregon <laughs> fumbling it. And, and, and the way that Oregon had played on offense, maybe that wasn't the most crazy thing to be sweating because this just wasn't, this is was just a really poor offensive game. And Oregon State gains more yards, has four first downs, throws for more yards, even with a backup quarterback. And I think one place to start is like, Justin Herbert wasn't very good in this game. No. Um, and this might have been the worst game he's had in a long time. He was 18 for 30, 174 yards. He did have a touchdown in the first half to um, Johnny Johnson. And that was a pretty good throw. But, like, he was off on a ton of throws. And um, he had some drops. And, and there were plays, uh, you know, where maybe the receivers just didn't get any separation. He had to eat it or, or throw it away. But, like, a lot of the incompletions were he just couldn't put the ball where he needed to put it. And there were a couple that could have been for touchdowns or a couple that could have been for big gains or first downs, and he missed them. And I think that was really frustrating. And given the fact that the Oregon defense and the special teams probably, you know, when I do my grades tomorrow, are probably going to get the highest grade. I mean, Mikhail Wright had a Special teams won the game for them. 100%. Mikhail Wright had a touchdown. They had five punts within the, in the 20-yard line from Blake Mayom, three of them that pinned it. And that was probably the most frustrating sequence of the entire game is Oregon has three straight times. It pins Oregon State within its five-yard line. Oregon then gets the ball back in plus field position in Oregon State territory and has to punt it over and over again. Like, the end of that first half was really frustrating because, like, if you're Oregon, you're like, okay, you your keep, defense is lights out. Yeah, defense is lights out. Special team keeps getting you great field position, and yet you just can't get past the 35-yard line. Oregon punts it three straight times from right around the 35, 40-yard line. Of Oregon State. Of Oregon not, State. Not Oregon. Yeah, like, in position where, like, you got first down away from being within field, goal within field goal range or, I mean, given that Kendall Lewis also missed the 20-something yarder on this one, maybe not, but... Yeah, there were a lot of sequences like that. Actually, we didn't get to the most frustrating, where Oregon looks like they're going to ice the game and go up two scores in the fourth quarter. Jalen Red is diving for the pylon, and the ball pops loose. It's a turnover and downs instead of a touchdown. Um, and that felt like a little reminiscent. That was actually very reminiscent of last year's Stanford game, where Jalen Red, same kind of thing, looks like he scores. Instead, they say um, that he doesn't score. And this time, obviously, it's a fumble instead of just uh, putting the ball at the one-inch line. But, um, boy, was that a scary sequence of, like, the crowd's going crazy because they think Oregon's going up 24 to, to 10, um, and yet they wipe, they wipe the touchdown off the board, and Oregon State has the ball with a chance to come down and win, and they end up being um, stopped on a fourth down near midfield and then a fumble. I mean, this is how the game opens up. Field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, and you're looking at it like this is, a, this is, a, a, this is playing out how everyone envisioned it, right? Like, Oregon's the better team. They have the more speed. They have the better depth. They have the star quarterback. It's going to be a blowout. Everyone's going to be happy. Everyone, all the, all the starters are going to be benched because they don't need to be playing in the fourth quarter. Yep. You're going to get a whole bunch of younger guys in the game. And then all of a sudden it just goes five plays, 14 yards punt, four plays, 42 yards punt, three plays, zero yards punt, 15 plays, 69 yards, missed field goal, six plays, 30 yards punt. Nine plays, 70 yards, touchdown, but it comes off the board because of Jalen Red. Uh, three plays, six yards, punt, and then three plays, 27 yards, touchdown, but that's only because of the turnover that was created by Thomas Graham, recovered by Brady Brees. Uh, and you're looking at it now like, what's wrong with this Oregon offense? Do you, I mean, maybe this is a bigger deal than we think. Jake Hansen not being available yeah. to, to play. I mean, he did not play at the center position. He has played that spot for four years. He's been a couple games, one including this year already, where he's not played. Um, but at the same time, is, is that the issue for 
all of Oregon's struggles offensively? I can't say it's all of it, but like it has to be mentioned, right? Because like over the last six quarters, because he didn't play the second half against Arizona State and they didn't play the whole game against Oregon State, like that was some of the worst people we've seen all season from this Oregon offense. And the snaps weren't like they weren't high, they weren't low, they weren't left, they weren't right, but they were almost like a changeup in baseball. It just didn't seem like it got there with the same you know velocity or speed as you're used to. Um, with Calvin Throckmorton out there instead of Jake Hansen. And I, I, I do wonder if that throws off the timing. At the same time, like, you look at the, the, the way they ran the football. Like, Oregon ran the ball fine. I mean, they ran for almost 200 yards. Travis Dye averaged almost eight yards a carry. This is consecutive games where Dye's had a great yards per carry but just hasn't touched the ball very much. Um, Verdell played the full game, which is one of the few times that's happened all season, but only had 50 yards rushing. But still, like... I don't know. I don't think he was 100 percent because Verdell. Yeah, his, Verdell, his I know Dye started. Very, Dye started, and his usage was very, very sporadic. Mm-hmm. But like back to the original question about Hanson, like I don't know if that's. I don't think that's the the entire problem, but like it's certainly notable that you're without your starting center, and, and you know once again the offense kind of sputters, and uh, you ran through the drive chart, but like a lot of those were really frustrating drives, and that like Oregon would get some momentum. They would run the ball on first and second down, move the ball down the field, and then for whatever reason they'd get away from it, and then then they end up being in a spot where it's like second and nine, third and nine, and they just throw it two incomplete passes or it's incomplete and short of the the yards to gain. So um, very, very frustrating game, I think, if you're an Oregon fan, there's any doubt about it. And you come away going like, okay, Oregon is is 10-2, and 8-1 in Pac-12 play. Those are all awesome things. I I mean, I think coming into the season, if you would have been asked if that was – what the result would be of the regular season, I think everybody would have signed up for it. But you go into now a game with Utah, and we should mention that Utah is is up 14-7, maybe 21-7 here, close to the end of the first half against Colorado, where if Utah plays at the level they're capable of playing and Oregon plays like they have the last couple weeks, they're, they're going to they're gonna, I was gonna say, they're gonna get steamrolled. They might lose by four or five touchdowns. And that's, I think, big picture, you look at the year, 10-2, and Pac-12 North champs, with two games to play was when you wrapped that up. Right. Knowing what we've seen this Oregon pro- football program go through the last couple of seasons, I don't think there's a single Duck fan that's going to have any, any, any doubt or any complaint about a 10 and 2 regular season. But when you, you start playing the games and you see the potential of this team, yeah. and you go back to middle of October to middle of November when Oregon is marching down the field in the second half at ease against the Huskies and then against Washington State and the excitement of that comeback victory. And then you go down to USC and you put up a 50-burger on the Trojans and you come out of that with over 500 yards of offense. Um, And you look at the fact that you then play an Arizona team and you put up almost 50 points Mm -hmm. in that football game. Like... You start to buy into that. Well, maybe this group is really, really good. And maybe this group is in that elite discussion. Maybe that group is in that playoff discussion. And now the last two weeks we've seen a situation play out where it's like this team is not even close to where it was a couple weeks ago. And you have to wonder what happened. What brought you here? Is that wear and tear of a season? Is it Jake Hansen being out? Is it Micah Pittman and, and the loss there? Is, is it also, Jalen Red's not 100% healthy. Is it C.J. Verdell's not 100% healthy? Is there an injury that we don't know about? Or is this team maybe overperforming their expectations? I, I don't know, but whatever it is, they've got to get it figured out. And we did ask, I did ask Crystal Ball that, like, what's been the issue here? Yeah. And 
he didn't really give us you know an answer of why the offense has struggled, but he did also say that it's on him. It's on, it starts with him, and it starts with everybody because they know that they can be a lot better and that they can be one of those best offenses in the country, and they just have to find themselves to get back to that. And I, I'll have to think about it, maybe go watch a couple of the games and see what they did well again and what they aren't doing now. But, man, I, I think if Oregon plays at their best, they can beat a Utah. Absolutely. And, and, and they can beat whoever they play in, in, in the Rose Bowl if that plays out. But can they get back to that level of play? That's going to be, I think, the big question is can you get yourself back to that groove, that level so quickly. This doesn't look like the same team that won nine straight games. No. And I think the weird, I remember I asked a question to Cristobal because I would say like after the bye week, after they beat USC 56-24 in LA, the next three games, Arizona at home, they won 34-6, to but they weren't great in that game. They lost to Arizona State and then they had this game, which was one of the worst performances of the season, even though they won. Um, I asked Cristobal after the USC game of like, can a bye week hurt momentum? And like at the time, I kind of thought it was a silly question. Because it, because it is kind of like, how is a bye week ever going to hurt the way a team's performing? If anything, it gives you more rest, more time to prepare, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I do, it does seem notable that like, coming out of that bye week, they just haven't been playing very well. And the offense in particular, 34 points against a terrible Arizona defense, 28 points against an Arizona State defense that's okay, but not great, and then 24 points today against an Oregon State defense, which is ranked last in the Pac-12 and, um, opposing scoring offense. And we should mention that that was only one offensive touchdown until late in the game. Um, when Cyrus C.B.B. Likio comes in and, and, and runs it in from 20 yards out. So if something's not clicking. Something's not right. Um, and, again, like you can't argue about the end result of, of winning a civil war, of winning a rivalry game, sending all these senior seniors out um, from Otson with a victory in their final game against Oregon State. But, like, it wasn't what you wanted in terms of, like, this This game didn't feel the this way was it was supposed, supposed to be to a send-off. Like, yeah, where it wasn't, you, and it wasn't that. Where This was supposed to be a send-off where all of a sudden – you're you're sending Herbert, the offensive line, Troy Dye, mm-hmm. Lamar Winston, where those guys are, are getting their ovation calls, and it's a blowout, and everything is good. You're going into the Pac-12 championship game, firing it on cylinders, and you're feeling very confident in your group. And while I don't think the confidence internally is lacking going into Utah, I think externally there's 100% less confidence that this team can go in there and win that football game. And, look, if, if any of those coaches or if any of those players hear that and they go out and they win, like, yeah, put it to us. But what we've seen the last two weeks mm-hmm. is different from what we've seen the previous nine. And in today's Civil War game, I mean, you get the win. It doesn't – Justin Herbert you know, spoke to the media today and he said something along the lines of, the great thing about football is that it doesn't fall on one particular player. It's a whole team effort. The defense and the special teams made the plays that we needed. The offense kind of did enough to win. Right. And Thomas Graham said that, you know, all we tell the offense is just give us seven points and we got you. And that was true today, um, you know, to a, to a degree. Uh, and I, I think it's, yeah, you, you got yourself into a situation that you didn't want to be in playing against an inferior opponent in a close, tight ball game. And yet when Oregon needed the plays, Oregon made the plays to, to win the game. And I think that's maybe the silver lining, the half-class full type approach, is that yeah. they, you know, when one group, when, when one-third of the team was not performing at a level expected, the other two special teams in defense were able to rise up and, and give you the win. And maybe the other way of 
finding a silver lining here is like Oregon loses to Arizona State, obviously didn't play well. They played poor in this game, and I think they would even admit it wasn't their best, especially offensively. And, and certainly Cristobal said that Herbert, like you mentioned, wasn't particularly high on how they played. Johnny Johnson, after the game, was the only other offensive player we spoke to, also wasn't exactly raving about the team's performance. I think the only thing you could find is like a, a silver lining is maybe that just that recognition that like we need to play way better than this, and like we're not going to win games if we don't play. Because this was a game like this. This was very could easily have been the second straight loss. Like yeah. I mean, they, if, if they don't force that fumble, it kind of felt like Oregon State was going to come down the field and like you said, either drive to tie or, or win or, or at least have an opportunity to, to do one of the two. Um, maybe this is a wake up call, but at the same time, I'm like you shouldn't have had to need a wake up call after the Oregon State. Or sorry, the Arizona State loss down there. Um, I want to run through a couple stats that are somewhat, I guess, impressive. But like five tackles for loss is a nice number. Only one sack again. Didn't didn't force an interception against a quarterback who's never started a game at this level, at least on the Pac-12. They did do. They did create some turnovers. Though. They did create the one, the forced fumble that was yeah, won the game. And that won the game. So that's very notable. Um, I just think I was thinking, okay, you're going to start a backup quarterback in this game, where they're going to have to be throwing the ball the whole second half, which they were. They're going to force some interceptions, some errant throws. Credit to Tristan Gebbia for not doing that. Um, Thomas Graham Jr., probably your defensive MVP, maybe the entire game MVP, leads the team in tackles. I think he is. I mean, he, he, he not only did he make the fumble, but he also had that tackle on, on yep. fourth or third down near the sideline. That right. on, saved. The, on the screen pass yeah. to Jefferson. So, yeah, he he played really, really well. Javon Holland, eight tackles. Austin Fallu also has eight tackles um, and one and a half tackles for loss. Kayvon Thibodeau with the only sack. He has two two tackles for loss in this one. Continued to play at a very high level. So some, definitely some some highlights defensively. Um, Isaac Slade, Matt Atia almost had an interception to seal it, but couldn't quite corral it on the, the second tip. He deflected it and then tried to dive and, and grab it late in the game. I mean, getting turnover on that drive anyway, but... Um, Again, a lot of things you can take away positive offensively or defensively. Offensively, it's, I think it's really hard to look through this and be like, glass is half full, things are going well, because it just wasn't there. And I think, I don't think you're going to get any arguments from Oregon internally about like, this just wasn't their best game. Oregon walks out of Austin Stadium 24 to 10. They improved to 10 and 2 on the year. They finished the regular season 8 and 1 in the Pac 12 North. Uh, they are North champions. And they will more than likely play a Utah team um, in the Pac-12 championship game from Santa Clara at Levi Stadium Friday night. I believe that is a 5 p.m. kickoff. Uh, game will be televised on ABC. And it's basically for Oregon, win and you're in the Rose Bowl. And possibly lose and still get in. Possibly, Rose Bowl. possibly lose and still get in. Uh, depending on how things shake out for Utah in the college football playoff. Uh, picture going into championship week. Let's take one second and talk about that, just because a couple things happened in front of that potentially sure. help Utah. We're just watching the highlights of Alabama losing to Auburn. That removes them as a possible obstacle for Utah. So I do think at this point it feels likely that if Utah wins out, they get in. Um, we're monitoring Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which is going on right now as well. Um, I st- I'm still of the feeling of, like, unless Georgia upsets LSU in the SEC championship game, Utah is going to get in, which means even if Oregon were to lose in the conference championship game, they would be the Rose Bowl uh, representative from the Pac-12, and they'd probably play Wisconsin, who just smashed Minnesota pretty good today um, in that game. So uh, some just in terms of the bowl picture, decent. I, I would guess that the odds of Oregon making the Rose Bowl, unless Utah loses this game, um, are pretty decent right now, which is a positive coming from a game that didn't have a lot of them. How... Kind of deflating. You feel like that would be like, I don't know. If deflating is the right word, but like, you you 
lose the conference championship game and you still get into the conference, into the Rose Bowl? Well, it would even worse if they lost to Oregon State and they totally backed in and lost like three straight games and then fell to the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's def- it wouldn't be deflating. It'd be a great it be opportunity to play, but it, it would, would feel be, weird. It would feel weird, and I, I actually again I think that is probably what's going to happen. I mean, I'm thinking I don't expect Utah to lose to Colorado. They have a ten point lead at half. They're the better team. Um, I'm not real confident on Oregon beating Utah right now. I'll have to kind of look through this, some of the numbers and kind of you know do a more of a deep dive into Utah. But like my sense right now, based upon how they've been playing and how Oregon's been playing, is that Utah's the better team. Um, but you can't complain when you go to the Rose Bowl. No. That's that's a great way to finish any season, and especially when you win ten games in the Pac-12 and you win the Pac-12 North eight with eight wins, and you're I think four games ahead of the second best team. They were clearly the best team in the Pac-12 North this year. There's no question about that. That's gonna do it for us. I'm uh, Matt Bream, Eric Scopel. Uh, you're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Adios, amigos. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.